I want to encourage you, if you do not have a uh, blue handout this evening, uh, raise your hand and we'll have one of the ushers help you. Do I have any of my ushers here within the sound of my voice that can help me? If not, I believe they will return here shortly uh, with a few of those. Here we go. If you need one of those blue outlines, you'd like one, just keep your hand up till someone brings one to you. Even if it's up the entire message, just have faith. It will come. It's on their way. I see them moving out now. Uh, as you're waiting for that outline, I have a question for you. Do you like to wait? I mean, do you enjoy a good long wait? <laughs> Some of you have your hands up. I think maybe you like to wait. That's right. I, I know that's what the Bible says, but i got to confess, I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait at the doctor's office. I don't like to wait at the post office. I surely don't like to wait at the grocery store when I've been in the 20 items or less line and someone hasn't been able to read and they obviously have 40 items, but I'm waiting. I, I don't like to wait. I don't know about you. Well, I decided that we're going to have a pop quiz tonight and you're going to take a quiz with me and I want you to decide where you're patience level is and how you like to wait and so here's a couple scenarios i'll read them to you and i want you to to vote in just a minute a b or c is three possible responses uh, you may take to these scenarios that sometimes cause us to wait i want you to imagine that you're at the toll booth when i lived in tulsa oklahoma we were blessed with toll booths everywhere maybe you're on your way to chicago and you get on that turnpike and you find a toll booth and you're there and the driver of the car in front of you is having an extended conversation with the toll booth operator. Think for a moment how you would respond. A, you are happy. You observe that the toll booth guy and the driver are experiencing community together. You think about forming a small group and you and the driver and the toll booth operator could have great community together. Maybe that's how you feel about waiting in that scenario. Or B, you think that You'd like to say a few things to that toll booth operator, like you want to invite him to church or something nice like that. Or C, you would attempt to drive your vehicle between the other person's car and the toll booth to get through as fast as you can. Now, if you were A, just raise your hand. If you were B, raise your hand. If you were C, raise your hand. If you hate quizzes on Sunday night, raise your, okay, there we go. One more, you've been sitting in the waiting room of your doctor's office for an hour. How would you respond? A, you are grateful for the chance to get caught up on the 2003 Reader's Digest. B, you tell the other patients that you have a very highly contagious fatal disease in an attempt to empty out the waiting room. Or C, you force yourself to hyperventilate to get immediate attention in the doctor's office. How many would say that you are A? Any B? If you see, you're desperate to get in. All right. I hate to wait. Our culture doesn't like to wait. Now, these are, these are fairly casual kinds of waiting, but we put up with them. But there are more serious aspects of waiting that many of us either have faced or are facing right now. There's the waiting that a single person goes through wondering if God has it for them to be married to that man or to that woman. There's a Waiting of a childless couple who desperately wants to start their family, but day after day, week after week, their prayer goes unanswered. There's the waiting of someone who longs to have work that's meaningful to them and significant and seems to matter, 
but it just doesn't seem to happen. There's the waiting of a spouse who's trapped in a hurting marriage that seems unable to change. Lewis Smeeds puts it like this, Waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. The average Joe is who we've been looking at in this series on Joseph on the last number of weeks. And Joseph knew what it was like to wait. And and all of us who have been alive for any amount of time knows what it means to be impatient or not want to wait. Remember, God gave Joseph a dream. He's not anybody new to waiting. And Joseph waits to see this dream fulfilled. Joseph was thrown into a pit and abandoned by his brothers. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely accused. He was in prison. And he waited for God to fulfill the dream that God had given to him. He was elevated to a high place of leadership, but still he wasn't reunited with his family Waiting on God seemed to be a pattern for his life. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Joseph learned to wait on God. He learned to wait on God. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 43 and focusing on verse 15 through 32 tonight. I'm not going to read all of it to you, but we're going to touch on that. And so if you have your Bibles, open to Genesis 43 and kind of follow along. I want you to see, I'm not making this up. This is in your Bible right in front of you. In Genesis 43, the last part of the chapter, we see a reunion with the family of Jacob. We feel this emotion of both the 11 brothers and the one brother who was separated from them. Joseph has not revealed himself to his brothers because God's timing had not yet come. And we learn from him the importance of waiting on the Lord. Even in spite of his desire to be reunited with them, Joseph is willing to wait for God's perfect timing. Now his brothers, they don't have any idea that this governor that they're going to face, this angry governor they assume, is actually their brother. All they feel is the same torture and pain that Joseph had felt for 20 years as they had sold him into slavery and he had experienced all those things we've walked through the last number of months. As we see this scene and this family reunited, we're going to see the dynamics of waiting. We're going to discover that the waiting period was not wasted, but it was full of God's activity. These brothers, they haven't responded to God yet. They will, but they haven't done it yet. Now look at verse 16. Joseph's heart is beating faster because he sees Benjamin, his his younger brother, who he loves deeply, who he hasn't seen in, in 20 years or so. And verse 17 and 18, you see these men are filled with Guilt and dread. Why? They haven't read Genesis 43. They haven't read the end like you and I have. And and they don't know who this governor is. They don't know that it's Joseph. They have a completely different idea of what this Egyptian governor has up his sleeve. They see this invitation to Joseph's house as more of a judicial summons, not as a manifestation of grace. William Shakespeare wrote, Suspicion always haunts The guilty mind. I like that. Suspicion always haunts the guilty mind. If you are still guilty over something that you've done wrong, when something is done in your direction, it causes your suspicion to pulsate. 
God often uses this waiting time to allow the Holy Spirit to work on us and to bring conviction. Guilt causes us to sometimes say and do some strange things, and no doubt Joseph's brothers are are guilty and it's beginning to ooze out of them. These brothers, because of their guilt, they feared the worst when in fact Joseph is planning the best for them. But in this waiting period, they are beginning to come to the end of themselves and to repent. They've had time to think, they've had time to review, to reflect on the remorse that they have of what they did to their brother. They even spoke earlier of the face of Joseph that haunted them when they threw him in the pit. So they pour out their confession and they begin to repent of what it is that they have done. They find when they go to that Egyptian governor, there's no interrogation, no judgment, no need for peace offerings, just an unbelievably gracious invitation to eat there at the governor's mansion. See, these brothers had been harboring this guilt for 20 years, and they had been hiding it from God, and God was waiting for them. Jot this down. God not only waits on the brothers, God waits on us. God is waiting for us to come to the end of ourself and to repent. Guilt had kept them from seeing God's hand. God was waiting for them to be obedient. God is waiting on us. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on me. Isaiah 31, 15 and 18 says, Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not in mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. The brothers had done just that. Abandoning their brother, selling him, lying to cover it up, one sinful plan on top of one sinful plan and a sinful cover-up, one upon another. Friend, God is waiting on us. He longs to be compassionate and gracious, but we've got to turn to Him. If we run, it only makes things worse. Joseph was merciful. God longs to be compassionate and merciful to us. He is waiting on us to turn in repentance. God says, you will be pursued until you are left like a naked pole on a mountaintop. That's pretty vulnerable. I don't know what a naked pole on a mountaintop exactly is sometimes, but I think it's pretty stripped bare. You ever feel like you're the end of yourself and you're just flailing out there? God says, good. When you come to the end of yourself and you repent, I'm ready to do something in and through you. God is waiting for our repentance. Jot that down. He's waiting for you and I to repent. Now God's asking for a brokenness and a contrite heart, not just an acknowledgement of who he is, not just an apology, but God longs for us to come to the end of ourself and throw ourselves in total dependence upon him. God is willing to wait for that. Now we often don't like to wait. We want God to move. We want God to answer. We want God to act. We want God to show us his way. But if we don't repent, God will wait until we repent before he reveals anything else. Now, how do we do that? God is waiting for us to surrender. We can't repent without surrendering. True repentance, godly sorrow, comes when we give up to him what we feel like is a right of ours. A brokenness before God. Also, God is waiting for us to seek him. 
When we repent, when we surrender, God is faithful not only to forgive us, but he also wants to share himself with us. Now check this out. We often don't think God has us in his heart. If we repent to him and we come clean and surrender, surely he's going to have us bow our head and waiting for the axe to come and give us what we deserve. But that's not what God does. He knows that if we surrender to him, he wants to give us more of himself. He wants us to seek him. Why? Because when we seek him, first, he knows that everything else will take care of itself. Why does he want us to seek him? Why does he want to give us more of himself? Because he knows when we have more of him and we're seeking him with all of our being, we can rest in him. God is waiting to have fellowship with us. He wants to bless us with the feast of his presence. He knows that when we seek him and we declare our dependence on him, that that's when he's able to do the best work in and through us. Will you and I respond or will we continue to hide in disobedience? We must wait on the Lord. Not only does God wait on us, but we must wait on the Lord. Let's pick back up in Joseph's story. Remember, the brothers are at the governor's mansion amazed that they're not getting in trouble. We're about to see how Joseph waits for God's timing once again. He does not reveal his identity to his brothers at this time. He waits for God to work on his brothers. God is bringing them to repentance. Imagine how hard it must have been for Joseph to continue to wait to reveal his identity. He hadn't seen his family in so long, and and here they're there, and and God has brought this dream he had to, to fruition, and he must have wanted to just say, It's Joseph. It's me. It's your brother. I can help you. But he chooses to wait on God's timing. Joseph had practice in waiting on the presence of the Lord. He was not new to trusting God in his timing. Verse 24 and 25. Everything's ready and here comes Joseph. He's not mad. In fact, he's never been more thrilled in his life. And look, verse 26 and 28 Then Joseph fixes his gaze upon the youngest brother and asks, Is this your youngest brother, the one that you told me about? They said, Yes. And he says, God be gracious to you, my son. Now this is one of those moments that defy description. He saw his youngest brother, possibly his closest friend of a brother, And unless you've had the experience of being separated from a dear loved one for nearly 20 years, it's hard to fathom the emotion that Joseph was dealing with. All of a sudden we find here in the text that he collapses inside. There are times when when we're waiting on God that even in the lives of great men and women, we can't always seem to control the emotions that rage inside of us. Logic flies out the window Emotions begin to take charge, and there's this period of of succumbing to the emotion that grips us. It happened to Joseph. We see in verse 30, Joseph is waiting on God, and he breaks down with emotion. Now get this, it's not in your notes, but you may want to write this down. Greatness doesn't mean the ability to always control your emotions. Rather, greatness comes from a willingness to release those emotions to God. 
Greatness doesn't mean that you always have the ability to control every emotion you have, but greatness comes from the willingness to release those emotions to God. God uses the waiting time to draw you closer to Him. Often in the waiting, it can be an emotional time. There's ups, there's downs, there's, there's peaks and valleys. We shouldn't strive to suppress these emotions, but we should surrender them to God. When we are at the end of ourself, waiting on God, He is about to come through. See, waiting on the Lord, it's an act of obedience. This isn't something that just kind of happens and you fall into it and you accidentally wait on God. Waiting on God, actively waiting on God, is an act of obedience. You know when you are waiting on God. It's a choice of obedience. Well, why do we do this? Well, God commands us to wait on Him. Waiting is the hardest work of hope, one author wrote. When we turn to the Bible, God Himself, God who's all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving, assures us over and over to wait. Psalm 37, 7 tells us, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Wait for the Lord. Then the psalmist goes on, Keep to His way and He will exalt you to inherit the land. As you cried out, it says, Be still and wait on God. In Acts chapter 1, we find the early believers, the early disciples were told to wait. Don't leave Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on them. And that's what happens in the upper room. We wait, we wait, and we wait. Forty-three times I can find in the Old Testament, people are commanded to wait on the Lord. Are we in such a hurry that we acknowledge God, but we don't wait on Him? I find it interesting, as I shared this morning, that all throughout Scripture I begin to see that it says the people prayed, and then they prayed, and then they prayed, and they prayed some more. And and we can read the Bible, and we can say, well, prayer is a good thing, but I don't know that I'm going to pray that much. This is another one of those scenarios. It says over and over, wait on God. Wait on God. But I just want certain parts of His truth. I don't know that I want all of that. God says, wait on me. Contrary to popular opinion, waiting is not irresponsibility. See, biblical waiting, it's not passive waiting around for something to be done or someone to come along that will allow you to escape from your trouble. That's not biblical waiting. Sometimes people say, well, I'm just waiting on God, and it's an excuse to not face up to reality or not take responsibility for their actions. This is not biblical waiting. This is not really waiting on God. This is denial. This is procrastination. But biblical waiting, it's it's not passive. It's not a way to evade some unpleasant reality. No, waiting on the Lord is confident. It is disciplined. It is expectant, active, sometimes painful Clinging to God. Waiting on the Lord is the continual daily decision to say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey you even though the circumstances of my life are not turning out the way that I want them to. And I understand they may never turn out the way that I want them to. It's the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My God can save me from the fire, 
But even if he doesn't, I will still praise him. This is that eternal mind that we talked about this morning. This is that mindset that says there's more than just this short life here. And that begins to make sense. Even if God doesn't do what I long for Him to do right here and now, I know that it's far better to be obedient and and, and enjoy the riches in all of eternity for following hard and fast after Him. It's saying, I'm betting on you, God. There's no plan B. That's waiting on the Lord, that hardest work of hoping. The obvious question is why? Why does God make us wait? If He can do anything, if He is all-loving, why doesn't He bring relief? Why doesn't He bring answers? I certainly don't pretend to understand all of that tonight. But I believe at least this is part of the answer, part of what's going on. Jot this down. It's not in your notes, but jot it on the side. What God does in us while we are waiting is as important as what we are waiting for. What God does in me, what God does in you while you are waiting for that answer, waiting for that provision, is just as important as what you are waiting for. You see, God is chiseling away at us and he is fashioning us he is making us into the men and women that he has designed us to be that he envisions us to be waiting on the lord requires a trusting heart i read uh, a little while back one of the most beautiful pictures of waiting on god that i have ever seen it's in a book entitled sabbatical journeys by henry nowen who is a great Catholic writer who's now, I believe, in heaven. I think he had a relationship with Jesus. And in this book, he writes about some friends who were trapeze artists. They were in the circus, and their lives had a great effect on him. And I want to share a little bit of what he talks about in this book. One thing they told Henry Nowen is that there's a very special relationship between the flyer and the catcher on the trapeze. The flyer is the one that lets go, and the catcher is the one that catches. As you might imagine, this relationship is pretty important, especially to the flyer. When the flyer is swinging high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he must let go. He arcs out into the air, and his job is to remain as still as possible and wait for the strong hands of the catcher to pluck him from the air. This trapeze artist told Nowen, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch him, but he must wait. Some of you are possibly in a vulnerable moment right now, and you have let go of what God has called you to let go of, but you can't feel God's hand grabbing you, catching you yet. And you're starting to begin to flail around. And, and will you continue to hold on and trust? Will you be patient? God says, be still. Wait. Trust that I will snatch you out of midair. Waiting requires patience. Second Peter 3.8 But do not ignore this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promises, as some think of slowness, 
but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. See, God has a different perspective, different timing than you and I have. I like this story that is most definitely probably not true, but it drives a point home. (laughs) An economist read this passage and was quite amazed by it and talked to God about this passage. So the story goes, the Lord, Lord, is it true that a thousand years for us is just like one minute to you? And the Lord responds, yes, it is. The economist says with a gleam in his eye, well then, a million dollars must be like one penny to you. The Lord said, well, yes, it is. The economist says, well, Lord, would you give me one of those pennies? Then the Lord said, all right, I will. With excitement, the economist begins to anticipate, but then God says, wait here one minute and I'll give you that penny. The economist thinks to himself, wait a minute, that could be a thousand years to me, God. You see, we often want God's resources, but we don't want his timing. We want the penny, but we don't want the minute. We want his hand, but we don't want his calendar. We forget his work in us while we wait, which is as important as what we're waiting for. Waiting means that I trust that God knows what he is doing Waiting requires patience, that's the first thing. But next, waiting requires confident humility. See, to wait for something is to recognize that I am not in control. I'm not calling the shots. The timing is not up to me. In our society, there can be a direct correlation between status and waiting. The higher your status is, the less that you have to wait. Waiting for us in our culture can remind us that You and I are not in charge. I am the creature, not the creator. But we're not just waiting around. We're waiting on God. And God is doing something in us. Also, waiting requires inexhaustible hope. For in hope we are saved. Hope that is seen, Paul wrote, is not hope. For who hopes what is seen? In other words... Why would I hope for something that I already have? I I hope I hold out faith for the thing that I do not have yet. But if we hope for what we do not see, we cry out in hunger and thirst for God of what we have not yet experienced. We do so patiently waiting on Him. In the Bible we find a, a tremendously wonderful and blessed promise attached to waiting on the Lord. Jot this down. Waiting on the Lord results in learning how to rest. I remember when I was, oh, second or third grade, I think, my parents had a rule that I had to take a nap on Sunday afternoon. It was a horrible thing. Now I long for those days. But the rule in my house was you had to take a nap, and and you had to take a nap as long as, As you were asleep, but when you woke up, you didn't have to take a nap anymore. So in my mind, I devised a wonderful method. I would take my belt and I would tie it around my knees. And as soon as I would fall asleep, I would turn and I would wake up and nap would be over. I had no idea that this long waiting time of a nap was actually to bless me. That was to give me energy, to give me something that I didn't really want, but I so desperately needed. Just... 
asked my parents about my attitude of what happened after those belt naps that didn't last very long. I still needed a nap. God is calling us to wait on Him, and always we see that it's for our good, and He teaches us to rest in Him. Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31 Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, that encourages my heart tonight. I hope that encourages you. God will restore your strengths when you wait on Him. Amen? God longs to teach us how to rest in Him. Are you weary? Are you faint? Are you sick and tired of waiting? You feel that you've been so faithful to God. You've cried out to God. He's even given you a picture of what the answer may be, but it hasn't come. How long do I have to wait? Friend, I want to challenge you. Wait on God. Repent. Submit to Him. Seek Him. Trust Him. Rest in Him. This final thought, and I'll be through. You see, God's silence does not reflect the level of His activity in your life. When you are waiting on God, sometimes those silent moments seem to be a deafening echo of nothingness. Remember, His silence does not reflect the level of His activity in your life. If you're here tonight, and your heart is tugged by what we're learning through Joseph, and you just feel a little bit exhausted, I'm going to ask Pastor Edgar to come and play something on the piano. But I want to invite you to seek God here at the altar. Say, well, Pastor Brady, I I didn't come to church and I I didn't plan on coming to the altar. Very few people come to church saying, you know what, I think today I'm going to go to the altar. Very few. And if you do, that's okay. You know what, isn't that a place for people who are so off track and got all kinds of willful disobedience in their life? Well, sure it is, but this is a great place to meet the God who is head over heels in love with you. Some of us are overcome with the wealth of emotion. It's a good reminder that even great men and women sometimes in the low moments are overwhelmed with the emotion that God allows to come. Don't stifle it, but give that emotion to God. We're not going to hang out long tonight. But I believe that God has freedom from, for somebody. He wants to impart rest to your soul as you are in this long period of waiting. If that's you, I invite you to come right now as Pastor Edgar sings.